You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good morning, everyone. So here we are on to the second of the I Am statements made by Jesus in the New Testament. Last time, you'll remember, we were considering Jesus as the bread of life. And today, I want us to look into Jesus as the light of the world. All the time, we have to remember that this is not simply Jesus showing the character of Jesus about what he came to earth to do for people, but it is all about his claim to be God. He came to show what God is all about. He came to be God coming to where men are so as to bring them up to where he is, something completely impossible without God intervening. We know God gave his name to Moses when Moses needed reassurance that God was going to be with him, not only as he went to the Pharaoh, but also as he went to his own people, the Israelites. And God told Moses his name. He said, I am. So when Jesus says, I am, He's declaring to the Jewish people that he's God. And that really got them riled. I am everything. It's ultimately what God's name means. It means that he's far and above and beyond any earthly kingdom or any heavenly being or any other God. And Jesus goes further with the I am statements and breaks them down to show that to show his character in a way that people would understand his deity. He just doesn't say he's God. He shows he's God in everything he does. His miracles all backed up his claim, but they were not the ultimate reason for him coming. This was God coming to mankind in a way that no other religion would ever do. He says you don't have to try to reach God through good works, and indeed we know we never could. So he did the only thing possible to bring us into relationship with himself. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the cost for us. And now Jesus is saying, I am, I am God. And here he is today saying for us, I am the light of the world. So what does it mean? What does it actually mean? And how does it relate to you and me in 2021? Well, there's a bit of debate about the story which is at the start of John chapter 8, which is my scripture for today. Because it isn't in the earliest manuscripts, although the scholars mainly believed it was something that should be in the New Testament. So when I was looking at it, I read that it's more likely to be among the writings of Luke. So one or two manuscripts include it in Luke after chapter 21, verse 38 when Jesus was in the temple teaching again. But turn with me just now to where it is in our scripture, in John's Gospel. And it sits here in chapter 8. And I'll read to you the first 12 verses. But let me say at the outset, there's no debate about verse 12, which is my key verse for this preach today. So from the New International Version, I'm reading verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. 
the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And here's verse 12. When Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So does this incident sit here? Who knows? But the spirit of the passage is such that the gospel collection of writings have been universally accepted and it's here in our Bible. And I know that's not by chance. So I want us to look at it today. This event all happens right after the Feast of Tabernacles. It's known as Sukkot and it's still a really important Jewish holiday today. Schools are off for a week and a day and many businesses close for the full holiday time too. It's an important festival in the Jewish calendar. The country grinds to a halt on the first and last days of the celebration. Tabitha didn't take the whole week, but it was good to know you had a day off both weeks. And that was an exciting time, seeing all the temporary tents, shacks, etc. going up on balconies and in the outside cafes. In the time of Jesus... The huge candelabra was lit in the temple at night to remind the people of the pillar of fire that guided the children of Israel in their wilderness journey. There would have been lots of people in the temple for this feast and news would have spread fast that Jesus was there teaching. You'll be aware that throughout his time on earth, the Pharisees and the scribes constantly looked for ways to catch Jesus out. And here we have it again, a carefully baited trap. But what does this story and the carefully placed verse 12 tell us today? Well, I'd like to suggest three things. The first is that light brings knowledge. Secondly, light brings hope. And third, light brings direction. So this, this woman was caught in adultery. Light brings knowledge. I want you to note that it's only the woman who's been brought in front of Jesus in the crowd. The man is nowhere to be seen. Was he part of the scheme to catch the woman? The law in Leviticus 20 and 10 or Deuteronomy 22 and 22 required both parties to be stoned. Yet it's only the woman who's standing, shamed, knowing everyone knows what she had meant to be private. And the Jewish leaders were brutal in their condemnation of her. They were out 
to get Jesus. So what were they thinking? He was preaching a message of forgiveness. If he was to say the law was right and she should be stoned, he would lose the support of the crowd. But if he said she should not be stoned, he was openly breaking the law and subject to arrest. You can almost hear them rubbing their hands and saying among themselves, we've got him this time, mates. Jesus saying here is a particularly impressive example of his astonishing wisdom in dealing with his critics, a characteristic which is reflected again and again in his dealings with people. In him truly are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge as recorded in Colossians 2 and 3. But instead of passing judgment on this woman, Jesus passed judgment on the judges. Now, now we should not take out of this that the law can only be enforced by moral paragons, nor that one cannot pass a judgment on moral issues or on sexual moral issues in particular, unless one is untainted by any history of wrongdoings or undesires. But Jesus is confronting us with the need for consistency in judging others. We know God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and in judging others, we judge ourselves. You know what they say, when we point the finger, we have at least three fingers pointing back at ourselves. Jesus, the I am, the light of the world, is bringing knowledge of our need as much as the need of anybody else. His call to us is to live holy, godly lives all the time. The requirement of the law was that the accusers cast the first stones. That's in Deuteronomy 17 and 7. The woman knew she was guilty and she must have been absolutely terrified. We know from Romans 3 and verse 20 that the law was given to reveal sin. Jesus wasn't easy on sin. He knew his father couldn't bear to look at any sin. He was coming to earth with the sole purpose of taking the punishment for sin. Law and grace do not compete with each other. They complement each other. We have knowledge of sin because of the law. Our nation's laws are based on the Ten Commandments. The law brings light, which brings knowledge of our sin problem, which brings us knowledge of our need. The law makes us face up to our sin. We know what Jesus did, of course. We've just read it. He bent down and wrote in the dust on the ground. And he continued doing that until the Jewish leaders pressed him for an answer. We don't know what he was writing, but the challenge in his reply is overwhelming. So much so that no one could stand. They gradually, one by one, slip away and the woman is left standing on her own. And Jesus tells her he doesn't condemn her either. But he also tells her to stop sinning. Jesus knows that for her to be forgiven, he has to one day die for her sins. Forgiveness is free, but it is not cheap. The gracious forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ must motivate us to live holy and obedient lives to the glory of God. His light shines in our hearts and shows up our need. And praise God, he's there for us to keep on giving the forgiveness we need daily. But that should make us want to be more like him and not give us an excuse to sin. 
Secondly, light gives hope. I remember finding myself locked in a cave in Brazil. I was out for the day with Pastor David Perry. Anita hadn't come with us and we'd gone off to visit some caves. They were very impressive caves and on the way back to Belo Horizonte, he decided we had time to see some other caves. So he went to the paying desk and was told that they would be closing soon, but we could go in at the exit and we'd be able to see some of it quite quickly. Now, there wasn't a huge amount of people around, but there were quite a few. So we were there having a look around when suddenly the lights were all switched off and we realised everyone else had gone. I have never seen blackness like it. I could not see a thing. The ground under our feet was very uneven and new and we couldn't see anything at all. So we shouted, but no one came. Do you know, I can still feel the panic rising as I'm telling you this. And then when we realised we weren't going to get out there, David remembered he had his video camera and he switched it on and it gave us this tiny little light, a really small light, but it let us see enough to make our way out of the cave and be able to summon help getting through the locked gates. I know exactly what I mean when I say light gives hope. Until we managed to have that tiny little light, I was completely without hope. I really thought we were going to be in that cave all night. And my worry was, I had no idea in Brazil what else could be in that cave. I remember being absolutely terrified. We hadn't planned to visit these caves, so Anita would have no idea where we were. This woman was without hope. She knew she was guilty. There was no light coming. She must have stood there petrified. There was no way out of this situation. She was about to die an extremely painful death. And in an instance, she suddenly, as her circumstances completely turned around, she's hearing about forgiveness, about no condemnation. There's light at the end of her tunnel and more light than she could ever have been imagining at that point. Light brings hope to the hopeless. And this woman is a great example of that. The great news for us is that he is the light of the world and he still brings light to all those in darkness. The trouble is many have got so used to the darkness that they don't even realise it is dark. John writes in his first epistle of what it is to be walking in the light. In 1 John 1 and 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. Jesus was able to say, I am the light of the world. In Luke 1 verses 78 and 79, Zacharias' prophetic song says, Because of the tender mercies of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Luke goes on in Luke 2 and 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. I am the light of the world, said Jesus. This is Jesus coming into the world as God, 
as man, yes, but as God. He's there for Jews and Gentiles. It is extremely sad that the Jews then and now cannot see who he is. John 1 verses 4 and 5 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Indeed, if we read further on in John 8, we would see that the Jewish leaders come back to Jesus and try to condemn him by saying he's got no right to bear witness to himself when he says, I am the light of the world. They said Jewish courts would not allow anyone to bear witness to himself. But we know that light has to bear witness to itself. The only people unable to see light are blind people. Light is obvious. If it's there, you can see it. Our Lord's passion for a lost world is so obvious. He came to show light to every person, wanting all to be saved and none to be lost. Truth is, this adulteress deserved death, but she received life. She deserved to be condemned, but she received pardon. And you know what? That is exactly my testimony too. Finally, light brings direction. Go back to the story and Jesus doesn't leave her without directing her. He says he's not condemning her, but he gives her direction. He says, go and stop sinning. He gives the same direction to everyone coming to him and being forgiven. He says, go and stop sinning. Oh my goodness, if only it was as easy as that. But I will tell you my favourite verse in the whole of scripture. It's 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. We have an advocate with the Father who's always pleading on our behalf. He knows we'll sin and he's there pleading for us all the time. Imagine God doing that. It is mind-blowing. So it's not an excuse to sin, but oh, hallelujah, our Jesus is interceding for us. We're on a journey, recognising that I am the light of the world, being forgiven and coming to trust him with our lives. It's just the start of the journey. He's given us directions in his word. Listen to Paul's word to the Ephesian church in chapter 2 and verses 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's giving us direction. We don't have to work in darkness anymore. He has a job for us to do. We are to walk in newness of life. Romans 6 and 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus declared to the people of his day, I am. He said, I am God. He came to reveal the character of God. So when he says, I'm the light of the world, He's showing us God, a God who brings light to our lives, who wants relationship with us, 
who wants to walk with us and will do that for however many years we have here on this earth and on and into eternity where we will see him in all his glory and be with him for all time. So I want to encourage you to see him today as the light of the world. Even if you haven't done so before, ask him into your life, find his forgiveness and find his direction for yourself. And to those of us who've been on this road for a while, keep looking to the light of the world for your direction and know his light guiding your path throughout your whole life. So be blessed, people of God, and keep your light shining for him as you shine God's love out into this world, walking in darkness. Amen. May God bless you.